I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. It's a busy time in the garden, so we're here to lend a hand. Our team of advisors will be solving some common dilemmas to help make your patch look sensational in the months ahead. We're also getting a sneak preview of the world's greatest flower show. Yes, our beloved RHS Chelsea Flower Show is returning next month. So we're hearing the story behind one extraordinary show garden called Hands Off Mangrove that's raising awareness of environmental and racial injustices. And BBC Gardener's World presenter Adam Frost is back to share the secret to his green-fingered success, perseverance. I'm Guy Barter. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS. In August 2020, we heard from a Londoner who used gardening to bring a community together after a tragic event. In response to the Grenfell Tower fire in 2017, Tatian Hayden-Smith helped members of his community in West London to heal through guerrilla gardening. With no plan or strategy, locals turned to nature to gather and unify in what was a neglected and unloved space. The work had a big impact on him as well as the community. My name's Tayshan Hayden-Smith. I'm 25 years old, I have two young children, and actually that's very pivotal in the work that I do. And I'd say that I'm here to make a change, I'm here to inspire change, and a majority of that is through nature. You don't know how to react to something like the Grenfell Tower fire. To just give a bit of context, I, I live beneath Grenfell Tower, I live in the same estate, and my mum's place is literally across the road to it. So that was where I was, born, I was born and raised, really. And yeah, when you experience something like the Grenfell Tower fire, that's your friends, that's your community, that's your neighbours, that's people that you say hi to every day, that's people that you play football with on, on what was called Green Pitch, just below it. So without permission, we took over four or five spaces in the community and unresourced, we greened them up and turned them into beautiful sanctuary gardens. It was just a way of dealing with trauma, a way of expressing ourselves and it was almost like plants were kind of like the paint and the, the garden was the, the canvas. It was really beautiful because it broke down barriers. I met people from all different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, cultures. Out of this work, the organisation Grow to Know was born. It's a non-profit that builds gardens to inspire, educate and heal while empowering more diverse communities through horticulture. 
after we took over the, a maxilla nursery space, which was previously a nursery but was taken out of community hands. But the outdoor space, it was kind of just left to kind of rot. And um, we took that over with the um, idea to get nursery kids involved in it. So we made it really sensory and all the planting really quite low and and there was access for prams. And um, I didn't really know what I was doing, if I'm honest with you, but that was the beauty of it because there was no right or wrong. I, I've not come into the industry with kind of like a rule book and I learned through loads of errors and mistakes. But we also took over a space on Acklam Road and we called it Acklam Nature Project. So it was, it was actually a vast space that was out outside the Almanar Mosque and we invited some of the people who were interested in gardening from the Almanar Mosque to start growing their foods in that space and then they'd take it to their kitchen which was really lovely they grew spinach coriander tomatoes and cucumber and there was like a vast amount of kitchen gardening going on but also there was a community artist who facilitated art workshop with local community and volunteers with this quite vibrant artwork so all, all of a sudden this is a place that you would stop and look at and engage with that you otherwise wouldn't and then there was King's North House where we planted this ancient olive tree in it with lavender and it was to kind of give a tranquil, relaxed space for residents because this is in the vicinity of Grenfell Towers, just across the road to it. And Grow to Know is making its debut at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show in May with a garden called Hands Off Mangrove. The garden captures two main stories, one of the mangrove nine and one of deforestation of mangrove forests globally. So it's all about social and climate injustice. Hands Off Mangrove by Grow to Know honours the mangrove nine defendants and the events of 1960s, 1970s Notting Hill, which is where Grow to Know was founded and where I was born and raised. Um, I'm a man of Caribbean heritage. I'm mixed. Um, I'm, my mum's Egyptian QAT, my dad's Jamaican Italian. And that's kind of reflective of my community. People coexist. And we thought it was an amazing story to tell. And just to give you a bit of context on that, the Mangrove Nine were nine community members. They became known as the Mangrove Nine. They didn't call themselves the Mangrove Nine. There were nine community activists, all of Caribbean heritage, and they stood up and confronted discrimination and racism in 1970 when they led the community. So there was 150 community members, members that joined them on a protest against the police brutality of the Mangrove restaurant on All Saints Road in North Kensington. And Steve McQueen did a really amazing dramatised series called Small Axe, which captures that story. The Mangrove on All Saints Road was a restaurant and actually it was a, a place where a lot of illustrators, creatives and notable people went to and not exclusively, it wasn't that kind of place, it was a place definitely rooted in the community. People would come there all the time but you've got people like Bob Marley who used to go, I think Jimi Hendrix, Nina Simone, they visited. And so it was a place that represented the community and was a place for people to come together, unify through food, through music. The garden honours the Mangrove Nine and their resilience, their resistance, the fact that they put their liberty on the line for the broader picture because they were being brutalised by the police countless times with no reason unjustified. And they went to court. I say they went to court. They were taken to court. And in that trial, they were able to overturn the most egregious crimes that were alleged against them. And it was the first acknowledgement in the judicial system of racial hatred within the police institution, which then evoked a lot of change and that we see today. And it's not perfect. There's still a lot of issues. But for me, 
the journey of the Mangrove Nine and the members. It's so empowering for someone who's a young man of um, mixed heritage in Labrick Grove, Notting Hill, kind of looking into the past to try and better the future. Mangroves are really interesting to me because there's kind of nothing like them out there. They're trees and their roots are really exposed, so they exist in water. So their canopy is obviously above water, but their roots are kind of bare and are quite architectural. They're, they're like a network of roots. And that's why I feel like it really does feed into the story of the Mangrove Nine, because they look, mangrove trees are resilient and they're resistant. They exist in salt water. So actually, um, mangrove trees and forests provide a barrier to natural disasters. So when there's a tsunami, or it kind of diffuses the impact of the waves. But not only that, they hold a lot of carbon within their roots and push it down into the earth. And so actually by cutting down those forests for human benefit, for profit, for agriculture, for tourism, we are essentially killing the mangrove and with that, the ecosystems that go with it. The mangrove forests are home to a wide diverse range of animals and species. It's nuts how many animals. I mean, in India, you've got a tiger that lives in the mangroves. You've got fish, you've got birds. I'd love to be able to name all of them, but we'd be here all day. You've got turtles, you've got sharks. It's, it's actually crazy how all these animals coexist under the mangrove. In the same way in Notting Hill in 1960s, 70s and beyond, the mangrove on All Saints Road was a place where people coexisted. And even though the, the mangrove nine were all of Caribbean heritage, it's easy to forget that the, some of the most pivotal people in those protests and in the community taking a stand against racism were people that were white, that they were Asian, that they were all, of all different backgrounds. So Hands Off Mangrove by Grow to Know, the garden captures the events of 1960s, 1970s, Notting Hill. It's captured through a, a really stark, imposing sculpture of a deforested mangrove. And you've got nine roots, each root representing each mangrove nine member. It's worth noting that, well, I say it's worth noting, it's probably one of the, the most important things to say is that this garden has been designed to be relocated in the community of North Kensington near the mangrove restaurant. The planting is definitely suited to inner city gardens, really resilient planting and all about promoting biodiversity. So it's just about getting as many plants in there as possible that will complement each other and attract bees, butterflies, wildlife, insects, pollinators. But also we're throwing into the mix some edibles too, because touching on the fact that the mangrove restaurant was a place where people used to come together for food. And also to just showcase how you know, food can be integrated into community spaces and shared spaces. I feel like gardening, as cute as it sounds, is a real form of activism. I mean, you talk about planting a seed, you can plant seeds in people's minds. And I feel like gardens are definitely representative of that. But I do feel like the perceptions of horticulture and gardening in the UK have, have kind of been distorted slightly. And I don't think by coincidence. And that goes way back in history. Gardening is heavily linked to wealth, it's heavily linked to class, it's heavily linked to access to outdoor green space. And typically, people from my community, people of diverse backgrounds, don't have access to those spaces. And actually, the garden at Chelsea Flower Show is almost making a statement about the culture of the horticultural industry and almost saying, like, hello, we're here. Because I do know that Chelsea Flower Show and, and the RHS are, are trying to make a change. 
I'd like to think also that the garden that we build and that will be embedded in the community of North Kensington will stand proud for years to come. I feel like we've really got to start repositioning horticulture and gardening to speak to a wider demographic. Otherwise, we're just going to lose interest. Like, we're going to lose interest in our environment and our communities and our spaces. Horticulture was not even in my vocabulary before 2017, and I think that's the beauty of it. You don't have to know everything to be involved. And actually, I'd make the argument that we're all intrinsically connected anyways, in that sense, we're all part of the garden. You don't become a gardener, you are already a gardener, you just need to activate that. I'm really looking forward to seeing the Grow to Know garden at Chelsea. And you could be there too. The world's greatest flower show returns from 24th to 28th May, so head to the RHS website to book your ticket. I'm lucky because I get to go to Chelsea for work, so I'm there for several days during the build-up and at the beginning of the show, so I get to see all the wonderful things and I'm really looking forward to it. There are some wonderful gardens at Chelsea this year and two I'm really looking forward to are the Meta Garden by Joe Perkins and that's all about soil, fungi and plants and I'd be interested to see how he makes a beautiful garden on that topic. And also Jamie Butterworth, another designer of great talent who's making a garden for the mental health charity for children called Place to Be. And if you're hoping to get your garden looking gold medal worthy, keep listening. A good gardener embraces their mistakes, as Adam Frost, Gardener's World presenter, knows all too well. So, I'm Adam Frost, and I'm going to share with you... Well, I don't know if it's necessarily my biggest garden fail, because I think someone else always judges your biggest garden fail, but I've got a whole consistent, which I'm now going to admit to, series of failures. Um, and this is why I call... Um, veg gardening my hobby so lots of people think that I'm a professional gardener and I say no oh well I, I design them but in reality veg gardening is my hobby and that gives me the opt out um, because there's constant failures every single year and I think the one thing I've learned about veg gardening is in reality that it teaches you to get up and do it again get up and do it again and when I think I've mastered something something moves in and tells me that I haven't mastered it because they're more in control than what I am. So I would say to anybody in the veg garden, especially over the last couple of years, if you've got into veg gardening, don't worry about anything that goes wrong because you can guarantee it will. Just get up and do it again. If, if I had to pick one veg out where I've been growing, what, for the last five, six years um, that I've now given up on, um, is is most of the brassicas. I'm surrounded by pigeons, so I either have to protect them within an inch of their life, or they bolt, or I don't know, I've either got too much goodness in the soil, not enough, I've done everything from firm them in, I've tried it from seed, I've tried it from... Um, so actually, I, the one thing that I've managed to get going that I've semi-mastered is the Italian kale. That's been about it. And that's what I've done now is I've gone, well, actually, do you know what? I really love Italian kale. So that's all we're going to grow is Italian kale. And then I'm going to try this and I'm going to try this and I'm going to try this. So, yeah, persevere. And Jeff Hamilton used to say that everything had three chances. 
you know, and after the third chance, if you weren't going to sort of join the party, you know, he'd move on. So that's not bad bit of advice, is it? If you're persevering but are having problems, don't panic. Let's head to RHS Garden Wisley now to hear from our very helpful team of advisors. They're going to take us through how to deal with some issues you might come up against at this time of year. My name's James Lawrence. Uh, I'm a Principal Horticultural Advisor based at RHS Wisley and I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Nikki Barker. I'm Senior Horticultural Advisor here at Wisley and I'm also joined by... Julie Henderson and I'm a Horticultural Advisor based here at Wisley as well. So we're standing outside the hilltop building at Wisley and there's lots of new plants popping their heads up, lots of colour from the daffodils uh, and lots of people starting to, to look around all the beds and borders. And uh, we're going to have a look at some questions that have come in uh, recently from some of our members. So we're going to start with uh, one from Mrs Parr who's based in Kent and actually that's relevant with the daffodils all around us because she said this is my first spring in a new garden uh, and I was delighted to see lots of daffodils appear but only around a quarter of them flowered. Why did the rest only produce leaf and no flower and can I do anything about this? Nikki. Well there can be lots of reasons actually why daffodils, well not just daffodils but bulbs come up blind as we call it uh, and they come up with no flower. The most common reason is because the foliage has been cut down too early the previous season. So it's really important to let all of the foliage die back naturally until it's yellow, brown and, and completely died down and then you cut it back. I would say that is the most likely cause. And if you just let them grow this year and let the foliage die down naturally, then they should flower next year. And that's a real danger. Some people like to be a little bit too tidy and sometimes that's not always good. Uh, for the plant. We've had a question about a shady lawn here from uh, Jonathan in Hull. His shady lawn has got lots of moss and he struggles to keep the lawn looking good. Uh, any tips on how we can get rid of the moss and prevent it coming back? Julie, shall we start with you? There are ways of reducing the moss in your lawn and getting rid of it, but I would say the first thing to look at is the conditions, because if it's growing moss because it's shady, you need to try and change the conditions. If you can, maybe if there's big plants growing over, if you could prune them back a bit, or maybe even think about planting something else there. If it's a very shady place, you might need to think about putting something else there instead of grass. So that's something to think about, the underlying conditions of why it's mossy. And Nikki, what about shady seed? Because you can get some seed that's more tolerant. You can get shade tolerant grass seeds and they are usually more effective. I would say maybe look at it from a different angle, do a bit of overseeding, but actually if the moss is growing quite well, you can still walk on it. It's still a lawn, essentially. Don't worry too much about it. I certainly have a, a damp, shady area in my garden where there is quite a lot of moss and it does exactly the same job. And if you ignore it, then actually it tends to allow the grass, if you let, if you let the grass grow a little bit longer, then that tends to make the grass roots more resilient and reduce the moss anyway. But let the moss mix in and it does the same job. So you could just not worry about it. Yeah, I, th I think the shock a lot of people get is they don't realise until they try to remove the moss 
quite how bad it's going to look once they take yeah. the moss out. And how difficult it is to keep it out Absolutely. as well. So, so you know, the, the advice is always be prepared for it to look worse if you're going to go through that process of reseeding. And the key is really in the preparation, I think, as well. So make sure you've prepared the ground well. If you try to overseed on top of what's there without properly preparing, you're on a long battle, really. We've got a question now about uh, growing vegetables from Mr Cooper in South East London. He's got no experience of growing vegetables. It's his first time. He's planning on putting in some raised beds, and that's along an existing gravelled area by a fence. It's south-facing and very sheltered, but only receives partial sun, so it may be shaded by trees or other buildings. Would this area be suitable, um, and do the raised beds need to be lined? The area would certainly be suitable. Um, if it's south-facing, it will get plenty of light, even if it doesn't get direct sunlight all the time. So there's going to be very little you couldn't grow there. You might just want to think about looking at which areas are going to get the least light and growing things there that don't care too much. So things like beetroot and parsnips, a lot of root vegetables, they don't have to be in full sun all the time, just well-drained soil, which is ideal for raised beds. And what about the, the question here, Julie, about whether he needs to line the raised beds and, and what soil should go into those raised beds? If they're made out of wood that is untreated, so not tannalised wood that hasn't been pressure treated, you may well have um, treated it with a preservative. And if you've done that, then I would um, recommend lining it so that the preservative doesn't leach into, into the compost there. So for the what you're going to put in it, it'd be a mixture of a bit of topsoil and some compost and maybe some John Innes number three mixed in there together. So you've got a good mixture there. Yeah, that, that's a really good mix. Um, often if, it, if you know what you're going to grow, sometimes you can tailor the mix a bit more specifically because there may be some crops that don't want a very rich conditions and then there might be other crops like runner beans for example that really like lots of organic matter, lots of organic added, matter yeah. and goodness but if you're growing mixed crops which most people are in that kind of raised bed then then that's that soil mix sounds absolutely perfect okay so that's all the questions we've had to come in that we're discussing at the moment so thank you very much to uh, nikki and to julie and um any last tips you want to leave us with for this kind of time of year what are you doing in your own gardens at the moment well i'm growing all my vegetable seedlings all my tomatoes and peppers and things like that it's really important to remember though when you're growing vegetables and you've had them in a in a greenhouse or on your windowsill to harden them off before they go out we sometimes get overexcited because we have sunny times and warm weather in april but it can get really cold in may so don't put things out too early uh, because the frost will kill them and we've already experienced that this year in fact because we've already had periods where we've had some warmer weather towards the end of march and then colder weather into april uh, and so that is a common common mistake people are eager to to get ahead and um, we just need to make sure that you slowly accustomise those plants to the conditions. And Julie? Well, I'm thinking about looking after my house plants at the moment. Over the winter, they don't grow very much. You don't need to water them very much and you certainly don't need to feed them. But as we're coming into spring now, they're going to start growing a bit more. So make sure you're watering them really well and maybe give them, uh, start giving them regular feed, a general fertiliser, a liquid fertiliser when you water them. And also making sure the leaves are clean. They can get a little bit dusty, so it's good to give them a bit of a clean with a bit of damp kitchen paper and just wipe them um, to make sure they can make the most of the photosynthesising area and grow really healthily. 
Good, thank you both again. It's always difficult at this time of year to find enough time with all the sowing and planting and cleaning up, but it's early days and everything is looking very promising. One of the things that I have a lot of trouble with are hostas and slugs. I love hostas, but I've also got an immense plague of slugs and snails. So I've been replanting my containers to have hydrangeas. If you can't beat them, avoid them. For more on anything we've discussed, you can visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.